0: Certainly not just as it pertains to to local government, but it is one of those things that we are easy targets. Um, as we deploy these enhancements in our technology, uh, as needed as they are, we have to be vigilant about what that does to our vulnerability and how that exposes us to potentially bad actors. Because these threats are ever changing, we see them all the time in our emails, and no longer is it the your uncle is in estranged and imprisoned in Nigeria. Send thirty thousand rubles to this address, and we'll release him. These are socially engineered. These are intelligent. These are evolving daily, and there are things that many people that are trained to recognize these potential attacks and exposures are missing. And so we we have this really critical exposure that we have to keep at the forefront of our minds as managers. And as frontline staff and the elected officials as well, as we deploy these enhancements in our communities, that we need to just make sure that we do our due diligence.
1: Welcome to the PCC Local Time podcast. I am thrilled to announce that you are listening to my first sponsored podcast episode. Some months ago, I knew I wanted to host an episode on the future of technology in local government, so I approached OpenGov to co-host with me because I was familiar with their capabilities in addressing technology challenges in the public sector. After a few conversations, we agreed they would also be a sponsor of this episode. So it is with great pleasure that I say this podcast is sponsored by OpenGov. Serving thousands of cities, counties, state agencies, special districts, and school districts, OpenGov's mission is to power more effective and accountable government. Using the OpenGov cloud, public sector agencies are operating more efficiently, adapting to change, and strengthening public trust and service. Hear for public servants about why they serve their communities and share your own story at OpenGov.com. Today... I am joined by Claudia Ariega, Senior Vice President of Customer Service at OpenGov. And three distinguished managers in Pennsylvania. Aaron Sico, Manager of Hatfield Township of Westmoreland County. Dave Probolka, Manager of Susquehanna Township in Dauphin County. And his neighbor, as you will hear, Brad Guttschall, Manager of Lower Paxton Township in Dauphin County. When I think about technology today, I find it hard to come up with a good analogy from previous times. There were the early days in information systems when we had ERP, Enterprise Resource Systems, MIS, Management Information Systems, and CRM, our Customer Relations Management Systems. I'm talking roughly about the 90s when IT had a glowing future, And it all seemed to depend on really good IT people and employees who were willing to learn and an environment in which we could implement. But the reality felt very different. Perhaps a short way of saying this is that it just felt like there was no one size fits all. And while we began figuring that all out, lots of new technology solutions and challenges entered the field. We had the movement to the cloud, We had intrusions on the security of our systems. We had storage concerns. We had public records and preservation concerns. And we interacted and did business in totally different ways. Our early assumptions, at least for some of us like me, did not take into account all of the moving parts that have come together to create good technology. We were never in a fixed environment. Not then. And certainly. Not now, and hear a nice attention that makes our conversation today so important. I want to open up by asking Aaron to tell us about his experiences and insights into the use of technology. And then I'm going to let Claudia, our co host, take it from there. And I'll pop in every now and then. So let's get started.
2: All right. Thank you so much for having me. And obviously, this is a interesting experience to use technology in this way and collaborate with all of you. Technology and government, I think, is a very dynamic and changing resource for all of us. And, and the way I'm looking at it right now is that as we continue to look through the lens of how do we become more efficient and how do we do more with less technology, Helps us and gets us to that framework of trying to do that in local government. Um, As I continue to look at my background and my experiences here, I'd share the story of my progression through technology and government, starting with a typewriter in my college days. And I'm moving up to having platforms now for our recreation department, for our code enforcement department, for our finance department our fire department, emergency services, and uh, finding ways in which all those different technologies collaborate with one another. I think looking at that and finding a way to to promote that collaboration, not only with our internal staff, but how are our residents, how are our businesses using that technology to support what we're doing and likewise to support them, I think has been probably the greatest change in my career thus far. And as we continue to look at this and adopt new systems, I think it's been at times a struggle to stay on top of the technology, but with that to get all of our staff and all of our residents and businesses to adopt that technology at the same speed, as like, look at my story in technology and technology and how that's evolved. I think for me, it's how do I continue to encourage this use of technology and really enhance transparency, enhance communications with my team and with the public as a whole. We just had this conversation with our board of supervisors and our community about transparency, posting our meeting agendas, how we go about that in the right way to make sure that on top of getting the communication out there to the community, We're reducing the work in-house, such as right-to-know requests. How do we make sure that we just put the right amount of information out there, the relevant information, so that it cuts down on the nuisance requests? And and I'm sure everyone here is dealing with that as well. And as I look at that as the right-to-know officer, I say, how can technology help me? And we have all of these documents digitally. What's the holdup of putting these on our website through our Agenda Center and encouraging that? Whenever... I continue to look at this. That's the direction that I've been going in.
3: Thank you, Aaron. And uh, before we invite uh, Brad and David to just uh, come and give us some more uh, points and how uh, this relates what they're doing to what you're doing, could you just take a step back for a second? Just give us a little bit of background on how you got to where you are today. Just more about you are a public servant and you are um, helping your constituents be better. And so I just would love to know a little bit about your background and how you got here.
2: Yeah, I don't know anyone that's ever uh, thought they were going to end up in local government. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's not a class on in high school that pushes you towards it. And certainly, even if you go for political science or something like that, no one tells you to dive into local government. My journey started out in recreation. And with that, as a summer intern with my local recreation department, I was a sports management major and I was kind of figuring out which way that was going to take me. Not everyone can be a sports agent and uh, make the big bucks. Jared McGuire's, is isn't quite as much as it's cracked up to be. So whenever I was looking at that, I'd gone into local parks and recreation and I started realizing that there's a whole field here that kind of we weren't introduced to. And that was local government in a sense. So throughout college, I continued in that realm of local government and parks and recreation, and that led to a career in parks and recreation and local government, and through that, I've progressed forward to the township manager of our community, Hemfield Township. And likewise with my peers here, we all face a lot of challenges and a lot of unique circumstances day in and day out. And even if you asked me five years ago, if I was going to be a township manager and overseeing the day-to-day operations of a community, I wouldn't have pegged that as my, my career, you know, trajectory, but it's very interesting. Every day is different. And it really is a joy to be a public servant most of the time.
3: Thank you so much for your service. And I'd like to definitely uh, begin by acknowledging that it is, we need more folks such as yourself and David and Brad uh, in the front lines to really help us be more effective and accountable to all of our constituents. I want to take us back to how you are using uh, technology and you talked about communication, transparency, and especially for you as the right to know is extremely important to be out to the communities and they want to know information. So how are you using technology today to do that? And then maybe that can then... We can have Brad and David chime in, and if it's okay, we go through the route then of transparency and how you're tying transparency into the whole right-to-know procurement, et cetera, um, with technology.
2: Sure. Communication has evolved so much in the past several years, and I think COVID-19 and what we all went through with that propelled that further with the video chats and all of the technology that we were all scrambling to implement when in our workplaces and certainly in local government, we had not caught on very quickly to having camera setups and sound setups and things like that. I think today, even though the bulk of communication still comes through email, we continue to push that communication through our citizen services platform that we have. And we're trying to promote citizens to not communicate with email. We still welcome them into the building, but certainly put your comment or your concern through our citizen services tracker. And then at that point, from day one, we know where you're at in the process and where you're at in the process. If it's as simple as a pothole or a missed garbage pickup or something bigger, like a stormwater issue, again, you can track that as a resident. And I think from a technology and communication standpoint, we're trying to encourage that usage further. Likewise, with... Our elected officials who certainly reach out to our staff with constituent concerns. We're trying to make sure that we encourage our elected officials to not only encourage those uh, constituencies to reach out to us uh, through technology, but also that they start using the platforms as well. It's an easy phone call to me, and, and certainly we take a lot of phone calls daily from our elected officials, and we get a lot of emails. But It's as simple as going there, pressing a few buttons, and all of a sudden we have a geolocated issue that we can go out, we can address, and we can provide quick and easy updates for. And on top of that, we can go back and do the reporting on that so that we know how many of those issues we face throughout the year. I don't know about uh, my peers here, but certainly uh, refuse and recycling complaints are probably one of the. The number one things that come through our office with the holiday last uh, for Thanksgiving, one of our neighborhoods was missed, just outright missed by our uh, third party contractor. And uh, we haven't seen our phones light up like that in a long time. It was a matter of making sure that once we found out a problem existed, pushing that information out through social media, through email, updating our phone system to read with those messages, and then tracking all of those issues so that we could get back to our third party vendors. So I I think that's one of the biggest things for us is really trying to push people through our citizens service portal.
3: It's an incredible example. And especially as you honed in onto your elected officials, at at OpenGov, we have over 1,800 governments on the platform. And one of the biggest concerns they have as, as they are starting to adopt one of our suites, whether it's permitting, whether it's procurement, whether it's uh, budgeting or asset management, to to name a few, they, the first thing they say is, how do I get my elected officials to use the technology? Because they're the first ones that want the 1,000 page printed budget book, right? Or want to just have a good old PowerPoint presentation on their their desk. So it sounds like you've been able to really drive them and to get to use the different uh, systems that I'm, very familiar with under in your township but brad and david can you chime in as well as what are you doing or some similar examples to what aaron just shared regarding the transparency and bringing the folks to use technology to have better communication between the constituents the citizens and your township city as it is maybe brad you were nodding so you can yeah
4: Uh, yeah sure aaron that's i was quite excited that we may have a, another millennial here on the podcast, but then you th- really threw me off with the typewriter comments. Yeah, I don't know where we go from there. But anyway, I really think, uh, unfortunately, here in Lower Paxton, I would have to say that we're not doing anything particularly cutting edge or or exciting with regard to technology in the communication or transparency or procurement space, particularly. I think we're doing some pretty cool things, otherwise, with technology in other areas of the township. But with those categorical uh, sections, particularly, not so much, unfortunately. Uh, but it, I, I, we're doing some of the things that most municipalities are, such as really bolstering. I think our communication platforms, to include all the social medias, and I think a pretty robust website, and uh, making sure that we're utilizing the the reverse. 911 alert systems where we're texting and calling and and reaching folks that way. But I think as a manager in 2023, I am of the opinion that municipalities like Lower Paxton really need to start to get it into high gear with adopting these new technologies in that space. Folks are not leaving their homes for any number of things, much less to interact with their government, their local government. So it's really incumbent upon us local government folks to embrace those technologies and have government services that are readily available to folks without even having to leave their home. And, and so we're trying to do some of those things, but I, Aaron's story there is really good. Uh, and, and I know Dave's doing some cool things too, but, but we're just not there yet in, in this particular category, but hopefully soon.
3: Thank you. David, over to you.
0: Yeah, Brad, once I pay my quarterly sewer bill, you'll have the money to uh, invest in some technology upgrades in Lower Pax and Township. I happen to also be Brad's favorite resident. Uh, He's one of my Eastern neighbors. It's in Susquehanna Township, and and Lower Pax is doing some very cool things, so don't let him downplay it. Uh, For Susquehanna Township, at least as it pertains to transparency, accountability, record management, et cetera, I think I think we're doing a couple of things. Uh, like Aaron, we have a, a citizens self service report module for uh, primarily complaints. Um, I've been very slow to embrace. Uh, I think uh, that I'm probably in the in more of an old school category when it comes to uh, hearing uh, complaints from residents. Meaning, I don't like making it too easy, uh, and I know that might sound. That I'm not sympathetic or perhaps uh, that I'm not being reachable, but with some of these technological enhancements to submit complaints, it's just, it, it can inundate our staff. I have residents who will literally drive the township and ping every pothole. And once that becomes, once there's an ease of submitting those complaints and a diffusion of responsibility or some anonymity that surrounds it, it really does to a degree open the floodgate. And we end up having to chase the township around to try to to keep up with some of these work orders. It's not been all bad. I don't mean to sound like uh, I'm entirely opposed to the idea, but largely it's been challenging to manage. My staff is pretty limited here. We have issues that I think as they relate to maybe comparatively smaller problems like potholes or um, brushes or... or, uh, Bushes that need trimmed or, or trees that overhang or whatever, maybe on the, the, the triaging of things, they take a little bit more of an elevated priority. But if a resident submits a complaint through that citizen's module, they, it it is then their priority and it then has to in turn become elevated in your priority list. It's certainly a technology that's not been without consequence, but it's also had some advantages it's helps, it's helped us to concentrate capital planning on segments of the township, for example, for road repairs. If we see uh, a number of potholes uh, that are popping up on a given street, maybe it's time that we invest in a mill and overlay project or a capital project, a stormwater improvement or sanitary sewer falls under that same category. Um, I think uh, what what I've had some success both here and in the community I was at prior to coming here uh, has been with digitizing And streamlining processes like work orders and fixed asset management, document retention and disposition. I think when you can bring the, really the annals of paper records that we have to manage into a single digital repository using any number of the vendors that are out there that can manage this. And there are some big players in that space. Laserfish happens to be the one that we use here at Susquehanna and that perhaps some of my colleagues here are familiar with. It's both a, co- a real tangible cost savings because you're saving time, you're saving money on paper and printer, toner, and all the stuff that supports your the, the, the more traditional record management systems. And you're also saving aggravation for staff. You're able to do more, focus more of your day on, in, in productive pursuits rather than shepherding paper back and forth or processing work orders or approving purchase orders. A lot of these systems have been integrated with the other uh, software that we use, be it accounting systems, uh, ERPs that Nancy mentioned, enterprise resource planning modules, park and rec software. And I think that's the goal of all of us as managers, whether we invest a lot of it in time or not, is to have one integrated system or a series of software solutions that talk to one another, that we can see things at a glance that can streamline our business processes and really just take some of the pressure off of our staff from having to learn three or four different individual and unique software solutions just to go about their day-to-day. So the more that we can work toward that goal, I think the better suited we all will be. And these have really produced some meaningful and positive results. Now, if a work order comes in through our citizen self-service module, and it can be entered into LaserFish. It can be routed to the appropriate party. It can be followed up on by the resident. It can be closed out or modified in some way. It it allows for a, a, a really seamless transition of things from soup to nuts, um, and ultimately will lead to better service uh, for our residents.
3: Wonderful, wonderful. And I, I appreciate you saying that, David, because as I do believe that it all begins with automating workflows, right? Automating workflows that are paper-based and into and uh, something that you can streamline, and you need less human interaction, right? And you're still going to need the humans to look at the data and to make decisions, but the the process from beginning to end is automated. And, and um, we we partner with Laserfish; it's it's a great it's a great product. And some of the things I wanted to say, as you mentioned earlier on that residents can have so many complaints and it becomes almost overwhelming to the staff. And as I you know, travel the all 50 United States and meet with multiple governments, I hear this, we don't have a big staff or we have less staff. And how do we make sure they're productive? And we don't want technology to be something that bogs them down, but actually helps them. And And Aaron is a good example of that. Some of the things that I've seen work really well, and we've helped a lot of governments with is The storytelling and the ability that all of that data that you're collecting, when you want their feedback, you can do it out through a story, through a narrative, that then that narrative, you are guiding the narrative versus letting the residents guide the narrative for you. Because like you said, something urgent for one resident is not as urgent for another. And how do you prioritize? I believe that you being able to control the messaging that you put in your portal is extremely important. The other example you mentioned was asset, assets, right? And and potholes on streets, right? And and being able to now know how many you have and potentially make decisioning on that. Some really great things that you can also do with that is scenario. How do you build scenarios of all these different inputs that are coming in to then say, yes, I definitely need to go ahead and pave the road because of X, Y, C factors based on the fact that I've gotten three Different complaints. I love that you're already automating your process, and with that base and foundation, then you can then go to get a little bit more sophisticated, where you start to do scenario building, scenario planning um, of those particular uh, assets, and 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 just put them forward. So definitely, um, exciting to see all of you embracing technology in different ways, but all ways that are making you
1: streamline your operations and easier on your staff. That was a, a wonderful introduction to this topic today. And I wonder, Dave, if we could go back to you. And I know there are some ideas that you wanted to bring forward in this episode. Let's see where that takes us. Yeah,
0: sure. I think, and thank you. Thank you for having uh, me on. I think technology enhancements and investments, uh, I think, as Aaron pointed out, are really challenging for us as municipal managers for a number of reasons. First and foremost, there's really, traditionally local government as an industry has been, surprised behind the curve on this. Um, And it's not really, I think, for lack of visioning so much as it is limited resources. Uh, We we don't have infinite dollars to invest in tech and in research and development. Uh, But at the same time, we feel the same pressures as any other industry to adapt to modern technologies and modern expectations of our customers or our, our residents in this case. So I, I think we try to, to make innovations where we can. We have to be tempered by the limitations that we work in every day, but largely we've been able to, I think, uh, progress in that space. And, and I've talked you know, a bit about document storage, retrieval, et cetera. Um, but I think the next opportunity that we really are, are faced with is to adapt to uh, the future cities and, and modernization of transportation, smart cars, to driverless cars, autonomous vehicles, whatever you want to call them. Integrating our streetscapes so that they can be ready to accommodate that next wave of, of innovation from uh, the transportation sector. Uh, Something that Brad and I have worked on together, and and I'll I'll let him talk more about this, is is integrating our traffic signals because we are neighboring municipalities. And it's maybe something that somebody that has been in in tech for many decades would look at and and look and think, geez, you're you're just doing that now? That's an idea you should have had maybe 20 years ago. But at the same time, this technology is, is evolving, you know, so quickly and these are not cheap investments. We were fortunate that we were able to capitalize on some state funding to take a big bite out of it. But even if in six months, we're looking back on this or probably more realistically a year as a successful project, that's only one microcosm of our transportation network between our two municipalities. And we've got more work to do. There's always something next on the horizon, but to be able to adapt even something like our signalized intersections so that they can communicate with one another and that we don't have to have that um, staff person or that contractor go out and individually adjust signal timing or make uh, adjustments to an algorithm from a remote terminal uh, to accommodate real-time traffic conditions. That's going to be a big benefit. Of course, in public safety, I don't have to tell anybody here that there has been a increased and rightfully so demand on transparency and accountability from police many of us or perhaps most of us by now have implemented uh, motor vehicle recording units mvr systems body worn camera systems these are all enormous de- demands on data and bandwidth and both software and hardware infrastructure we just upgraded our system this year and one of the focal points I was talking about with Nancy in our call leading up to this was that we realized sort of after the fact that we didn't have sufficient bandwidth or internet speed, particularly on the upload side, to be able to support this, the needs, the data needs that accompany these body-worn cams and motor vehicle camera systems. We really were operating on the equivalent of residential internet download and upload speeds when we needed to be more in the gigabyte realm for upload and download symmetry. So we had to dovetail that implementation or that upgrade with an investment in our backbone to support that that demand. And it's just, it, it was one of those things that was a real learning experience for us. And hopefully others will learn from it and not perhaps make the same mistake. We were fortunately able to Uh, Adapt pretty quickly in that circumstance, which isn't always the case for local government. But it was an additional expense, and it was an unforeseen project, and it was an added burden uh, on myself and my staff that we weren't anticipating. So there's always going to be some challenge lurking around the corner that we, as managers in particular, need to be prepared to adapt to and to accommodate.
3: I love how you said it might seem like why aren't you doing that? Wow, you're having the the automating this or having to bring up your internet to have more speed. It is, it is extremely common, these pains that you are feeling, David, across the United States. And where I see the difference here, and I see the difference with all three of you is that you are all looking at what is the art of the possibility to fix these long-term problems that have been coming along for years, for decades, and how do we just use technology that is available to us, that is easy to use, ready, and and embark in these projects to start to make that change. Because the need of doing everything through your phone, expecting the Amazon-level service from residents and constituents back to their local governments, it's here. It's here and it's now. It's important that you are taking the right steps. And it doesn't matter what the project is. It's just getting one project leads to another. And then when people start to see how much the technology is helping, then that helps you with change management. We'd love to move it over to Brad since you are the neighboring team here and how you are collaborating and just to give more on what David was discussing as the challenges and the things that he, he is doing to make progress with technology.
4: Yeah, it's David. Dave highlighted a pretty good uh, project that we're working on there collaboratively between the two municipalities. We Again, we border each other. we using really... It's a quite a powerful system using some AI and machine learning type capabilities taking into consideration obviously traffic flow along a specific corridor, but also including some other things like weather and weather patterns incoming and current to better move traffic along a pretty congested and continuing continuing to be developed. Area of both of our townships. It's a pretty uh, impressive system, but I think systems like that are using data behind the scenes, machine learning. A lot of cities. I just saw an article the other day about the city of Hazelton implementing a gunshot detecting system throughout their city. I mean, that's a powerful step. That's using machine learning to better deploy scarce city resources. Uh, within their police department uh, to better uh, respond to public safety concerns. That's really powerful stuff. And I think that's the the kind of uh, technology that I'm certainly interested in deploying here. We, Lower Paxton, Susquehanna, were a little different in the fact that just, yeah, and same with uh, Hemfield, but outside of the city environment, outside of an urban environment where a lot of us struggle with, you know, multi- uh, Multi uh, pedestrian sort of issues, or again, some of these uh, public safety issues like the shot detector—that's a little different in city environments than it is for us townships that have more rural uh, sort of environments. But anyway, we could still be doing some of the uh, same uh, sort of things. Um, we're using as much as we can here in Lower Paxton GIS. We're really leaning into that uh, sort of a of a technology environment to again, utilize data to better understand township operations and bring efficiencies where we know for a fact that our staff isn't going to be growing. And so what could our current staff be doing to use the resources we have uh, to better deploy services? And again, I think that's through data collection and, and, and machine learning, looking at systems that will better allow us to understand how our residents are spending their money with regard to economic development and redevelopment uh, that's very powerful stuff we're using things like we're collecting data from ways the app ways and uh, google maps to integrate into our transportation uh, and capital plan capital planning program to better understand road degradation over time and So it's really neat things that we can do through that, again, just that AI and machine learning aspect that are highly important.
1: I want to jump in here, if you don't mind, just to ask this question, because I know this started out with talking about how Brad uh, and Dave's municipalities are working together. And I know Aaron, from my conversation, sort of sits in the middle of a lot of municipalities. And when I hear Brad talk, I have to think there's people saying, can't you share resources, which I think you're hinting at. Can we, does technology um, provide some opportunities for this discussion, like a larger discussion of, of the surrounding municipalities? Who's investing in what? And can we share or exchange data so we're all benefiting instead of just one municipality? And before any one of you answer, I've
3: always said this. You have one of the most powerful networks in the world. The local government networking is very powerful. You don't compete with one, each other, with one another, and you can definitely share lessons learned as well as best practices. That network is extremely powerful. So and maybe Aaron, since you were next, you can expand a little bit on this and the sharing of information and the networking with your peers to discuss the, the learnings and, and opportunities.
2: Yeah, I'm going to jump in and really elaborate off of what Dave and Brad said. Exactly what they're doing are the same exact things we're looking at. Uh, we just implemented an adaptive uh, signaling um, project uh, on one of our major corridors in, in you know conjunction with PennDOT. A real challenging project had a lot of hiccups along the way because of the technology and because of just. How much learning needs to take place in that? Luckily, we have that in now, and we're starting to reap the benefits of reducing some congestion in that corridor. But going back to what Dave said, data speeds—we ran into the same thing. We started taking on all these new technologies, and we continue. We're having issues with VoIP and lag, and and all these other issues. So, we ended up having to upgrade on the fly from a, a cable feed to a uh, fiber feed into our building and that was something significant that we hadn't planned and as we talk about these different things the only thing that really helped us propel into this kind of technology revolution over the past two to three years for our community was the arpa funds having those funds come available and certainly having the flexibility to use those we certainly Don't expect those year in and year out. And what we had, we made sure that we were very diligent in how we used it. But technology upgrades ended up being a big part of that, which included the purchasing of new software systems and upgrading hardware and infrastructure for that. That did play a big part in what we were doing, but kind of getting back to the question at hand, this network of local government, I don't have any of my neighbor peers on, but we have the same network. Uh, we're looking at the same collaborations. How can we do this better together? Not so much in the form of a cog or, or anything like that, where we have to convince elected officials that they need to be stripped of identity. And that's certainly a, a constant issue in local government that we see, but how can we not duplicate services, but enhance services? and? Uh, Susquehanna Township needs a dump truck. Hemfield needs a dump truck. We're both going to buy dump trucks. It's, it's just going to have to happen. But so whenever it comes to staffing, maybe there's some benefits there that neither of us can afford an IT professional, um, but maybe jointly we can. And uh, those are certainly some things that we have looked at. We've even looked at that in cooperation with our local school district. Our millage rate is shockingly low. And compared to our school district, I'm sure you guys face that as well. We're always looking at some different ways that we can maximize our collaboration. And I I think these two guys are great examples of how you're doing that and how that's continuing to try to be done across the Commonwealth here.
3: If if Nancy, I'd like to follow something he said and and, and pivot us a little bit to David mentioned it earlier as well as doing more with less, right? Staff. Restrictions, a lot of different things coming at you. What are you? How? What is the challenge today for all of you? I hear a lot that there is not. You cannot recruit fast enough, right? Bringing in new talent, talent that that wants to come work for local governments versus going to the private sector and attracting that new talent. Can you talk a little bit about some of those challenges and? Do you believe that technology and having the advancement of technology within your municipalities helps to attract that talent? I'm looking at young talent right here at the three of you. So what are you doing and how are you using technology to marry that that, talent attraction? And perhaps, Brad, maybe you can start.
4: That's a good question. The... It certainly is, a I think, an issue that local governments face in the fact that I would say not so much in the fact that it's the technology that we're struggling to utilize to, to get talent. However, I think the issue for us is the fact that we are trying to attract uh, talent that may otherwise be technologically savvy or have an interest in having a Uh, an environment around them that is technologically advanced. And then they come to Laura Paxson for an interview and and find that we're still using the typewriter or whatever. And, you know, it doesn't really bode well. By and large, Laura Paxson is doing a very good job, I would say, at at hiring. We have very limited vacancy rate and we're doing a good job at hiring. So it's not as much as a concern for us, but we have had, I'd say, several candidates on the hook. Uh, along the past couple of years, and they found out things like lower Paxson doesn't do remote work. It's always in the office. Even during the height of the pandemic, we were working all staff in the office. We don't. We're, we're now just getting in the the spirit of providing uh, mobile workstations. We literally within the past couple of weeks we just started deploying our laptop. So every employee is getting a laptop. So we're just getting there. We're just getting, uh, also in that same project, we're also uh, getting rid of all of our physical servers and moving to a cloud environment. So we're just getting there. And and so that's going to be a help, I think, for some that expect that sort of workplace environment. Uh, but it has hurt us in the past. And to your point, I think it's an important question, And it's something that we need to work on. Luckily, we've been able to make up with those deficiencies in other ways, such as our benefits or some other attraction. But it is certainly, to your point, a a deterrent to some.
1: I have to say this. I've been interviewing employees in Lower Paxson Township, and they are inspired by Brad. They say, this is different here. He's open to our ideas. I am hearing that from his leaders, and they are feeling free to actually bring forward technology solutions. So whatever mm-hmm. difficulties you've had in the past and whatever road you're on, to just know that having somebody at the top who's open to those ideas is such a huge asset. They're not going anywhere because this is a place. That's what they want. They want to feel like their ideas have a place. To, that's to great.
4: I appreciate you saying, I really appreciate that feedback, Nancy. And I think it's important too, is that I really try to encourage and build the culture around here that we don't have to be talking about some sort of grand IT project here. We don't need to go out and get the craziest technology or spend a whole lot of money. It could be very simple things, putting tablets in hundred dollar tablets with data connection into our vehicles to track mileage and track mechanical needs, very low-hanging fruit stuff. But it, to your point, Nancy, I think if if the culture of the organization supports that and encourages that uh, and encourages failure within deploying some of those technologies, I think it that helps. So I appreciate that.
3: So that's fantastic. So I'm hearing open Creativity, welcoming creativity, ability to bring ideas forward. I'm hearing that you are putting in different uh, levels of technology that makes their job easier. You are also um, enhancing policy of remote work environment. So I believe that is exactly what this new generation of, of folks coming into the workforce that we want to be attracting is looking for that flexibility and that ability to express their ideas. And as you said, and, and what I when I asked this question, what I meant was nobody wants to come in and work for green screens and servers under their desk. And definitely they want to be able to carry their phone and get and and look at their email and and ensure that they can do a lot of the stuff on their handheld devices. And there's also that piece that we didn't mention, which is that mission driven. You are all the unsung heroes. You came in and took these jobs rather than going to a, a, a private industry job. And you are there because you care about the mission, because you care about the future of government. And that to me is extremely important because you are the On heroes. So kudos to you, Brad, for, for having that culture and and really inviting people to come work into that culture. I believe that's a key success that you should be sharing across the, the, the networks. And hopefully with this podcast, more people can hear that because that is 100% what we need to get folks excited to come work for local governments. David, over to you to just add on what some of the things that you're doing to attract the new talent and, and inspire them with, obviously, culture and technology.
0: Yeah, I think Brad hit it right on the head with some of the enhancements in the mobile workplace. It's been a slow adaptation for a lot of us in local government for many of the reasons that, that Brad mentioned. There's also a yin with every yang. And I would emphasize that As some of us in government send employees to either entirely or partly remote work assignments, that we make sure that we're being cautious about it because there are exposures that are associated with that line of work. And there are expectations that our residents have that may need to be adjusted, but none of those are insurmountable. And I think we certainly learned that lesson when the pandemic was at its height. I was having a conversation with one of our department heads here earlier today who I think uh, contextualized it in an interesting way when he said that prior to the pandemic really sinking its teeth into our communities, uh, nobody, in, uh, hardly anybody in in local government had remote work policies. I was an exception. I'll toot my own horn on that. But uh, most of us didn't. And when we realized that we could accommodate that environment, even in what we do as providers of public services, suddenly it seemed to be very common in, uh, in our workplace that we would have these and an expectation, in fact, not just for public safety purposes, but for ease of doing business in many ways, that we would be able to provide for whole or in part remote work assignments. And now that the height of the pandemic has been, is, is ebbing a bit and, and in the rear view, it's amazing how quickly we've regressed back to those pre-pandemic norms where now it seems to be rare uh, that you have those uh, allowances in government. So we need to keep Uh, As managers, we need to keep our community and our elected officials in in step with one another in terms of understanding that we can still do this. It is basically an expectation of recruiting top talent anymore. And we're always going to find people to fill chairs and answer phones. But if we as an industry of local government expect to be attractive to the best that are out there. We need to be able to make some accommodations in the spaces that the private sector has been doing very well for many years. We're never gonna be a, a Googleplex with catered lunches and sliding boards out the window and pods uh, and, and whatever else might bring people into that line, you know, to those industries. But there are some steps that we can take that are effective. And and the question what technology we offer that might be attractive to a new workforce. Uh, is a good one and and I don't know that I really can say with good confidence that because we have uh, a drone in our police department that we're bringing in new law enforcement recruits who want to be drone operators or because we have a GIS system that is integrated with different uh, systems uh, locally that we, we have to offer that We're bringing in people in our community development office and our planning office and our sewer and stormwater authorities that are interested in being able to use that technology in, in their lives. I certainly think it is a value added, but I don't know that we've really been able to say with a high degree of confidence that because we offer this technology and we have automated systems or we have integrated traffic signals that we were able to get these new recruits. I think far more uh, than anything, it's been the ability to conduct business remotely, to be flexible, to accommodate work-life balance in ways that perhaps we historically haven't been able to do, and to really just, and I think everything that was that Brad's employees say about him is absolutely true, and and then some, but but maybe offline I'll tell you a few more things that you can, (laughs) be as a resident, joking of course, but I think the change management component is not to be overlooked. Being approachable by your staff, uh, cultivating that culture that Brad talked about that's conducive to people coming up with these ideas. As Brad said, maybe low hanging fruit, maybe easy to implement, maybe easy to consider. Um, just yesterday uh, in our authority meeting, I heard a, a long chapter and verse about the importance of moving to automated sewer flow meters exciting subject for sure. I made it clear to my public works director that if I ever get a text message at 3 a.m. from a sewer flow meter, that's it. They're going to, I'm leaving the next day. That'll be the end of me. But it is something that now can help with our compliance, can help uh, monitor some of our infrastructure and and predict failures uh, and vulnerable points a, a lot easier. And that came from a staff person. It's, it, this isn't, these aren't, grandiose ideas that need to originate with the manager or a a department head. These are things that people can bring forward and argue and, 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 and defend and implement. And we need to, as managers, be ready to respond to those, be accepting of those, and be willing to recognize that sometimes our ideas aren't the best. And we have to be open to alternative viewpoints in both the technology realm and others. Uh, that might make us more of an attractive workplace for the next generation?
3: So I'm hearing, yes, you're you're agreeing with Brad. Culture is extremely important. Flexibility. And I agree with you. The traffic signal, that might not necessarily be something that attracts an employee to come work for you, but it definitely obviously makes the uh, the livelihood and the safety of the residents incredibly important. I also believe that there are technological things that you can do inside the, the day-to-day of what your staff does to really enhance their work. So I'd like to move it over to Aaron to talk about that. You've automated your procurement system. You have automated your budgeting and planning, right? You have been creative and innovative at doing that. And there, and therefore, it makes it a lot easier for your, your employees to do their job and do it faster, do it efficiently. Can you talk a little bit about how you are using those systems in your permitting, licensing, and code enforcement all have been automated. So it makes that process so much easier for your employees, and and it, it definitely is, is something that attracts attracts them to stay. And they become certified on those systems. It it really helps them with their career growth. To turn it over to you to just hear some of how hear some of those examples on how you're using that technology and how your employees feel about
2: it? Yeah, uh, this has certainly been an interesting conversation to listen into and hear the different thoughts from my peers here. No one's ever said that government is sexy and uh, it's very hard for us to make it that way. If we are, we're probably doing it wrong, to be honest. Government should be pretty cut and dry. We provide a service and we do it efficiently and uh, we find a way to better the community. I think whenever I look at the technology that we've implemented, I think it starts with our code enforcement office in our community development department. So that's a, a sub office within that department. And we really bought into putting the tablets in their in their vehicles, putting the mobile printers in their vehicles, and making sure that they had the ability to go out. And if they're going through a community or they're doing a building inspection, they have all the tools there that they need to make sure that they're able to update the data uh, directly back into the cloud, um, into our system so that uh, as soon as they finish that inspection, it gets pinged back to their direct supervisor, to our department secretary, and it can start working to the next step. Um, Likewise, if they're out there issuing a citation or violation of one of our ordinances, uh, we have the opportunity to print that ticket up right on the spot. Whether that's a warning or or a second warning, I think uh, most local government would emphasize that we don't go out and try to be the big bad wolf whenever it comes to our residents. Uh, We'd like to give people an opportunity to correct an issue before we, we get into the issue of magistrate courts and things like that. It's just so much simpler. So using technology in that way has been very helpful. As we sat here and talked about some of these different things, having the technology available, I'm able to go and pull a quick report and take a look. And this year to date, we've had 765 complaints that have come in through the code department. We're averaging over two a day at that point. Going back to last year, 1,396 complaints for the calendar year. And that was in our first full year of that product being implemented into our systems. I'm taking a look at this, and certainly this isn't something I typically drill down on in December. I'd usually look at in the first quarter of next year. I'm saying, did we do better this year? Did we reduce complaints as the system helped? Or maybe people just forgot how to complain this year. I I doubt that's the case. So I want to find out why these metrics are here and what's driving them. Moving over to our finance department, I think that's where technology and automation is making a a much bigger um, impact. And the fact that our budget process this year was probably the smoothest that we've had in my time with the township. And certainly I think even our directors who have been with the township a decade plus have said that our process this year was the easiest yet. through having a cloud-based financial software, they're able to go in, enter their budget requests, make sure that they're taking a look at what they requested from 22 to 23. In the past, you'd have a lot of department heads who would go in and just ah, 10% more would be good. Now we're asking them to justify why you need 10% more. And we're doing that in a way that isn't abrasive. We're just, we're just asking them to be factual. And certainly as a part of that, we're saying, if you can shave 10% here and you know that you have a big project or a big activity that you want to get done somewhere else, let's look at reallocating those funds. And we're able to do that in a phased process now through our budget where, you know, we move through four different phases from our department head phase to our financial administrative review to our preliminary budget. To our preliminary budget, second review to our final budget adoptions, we culminate in five steps to go from August, where we're putting the numbers together, to December, where we approve that calendar year budget, the fiscal year budget. And that process, I think, has allowed the department heads and, and the and we get our our staff involved as well. We're getting our Parks and Recreation programmer involved in that. We're getting our code enforcement officers involved in that. We're getting our mechanics and our fleet involved with that way they understand where the money's going and why it's going there. And if our staff understands it, then we can do a much better job of explaining it to the community. And I think that adopting some of these changes is slow going. Certainly, we have the opportunity to provide stories to the public and to try to paint the picture of the budget in a separate from the 100 page. GFOA document, and certainly those still have a lot of merit and a lot of importance within our building. Our department heads like to be able to flip through a book and get to their budget quickly and be able to see what they're doing. But we're also encouraging them to say, you used to flip to a page, now you can just press the link, just create your bookmarks and you can get right where you need to go. And on top of that, you're going to have real-time data on what you've spent, what you have encumbered and what you have left for the year. So I think that's where technology and the software is helping us from that standpoint with staff and our elected officials being able to share this information in real time with them. And I hope that it is something that is beneficial to keeping our staff in place and not having turnover. But we're always competing with the private sector and I think we we're all pretty aware of the fact that private sector is still from a wage standpoint uh, outside of the class of where government is. And that's something that we have to contend with. And I think to Dave's point being finding some value added benefits for employees, such as flexibility, living and working within their community. Maybe they have children and they're able to go leave early and go to the baseball game or go to band or something like that, or they have a, a parent or something that they need to take care of. Just providing some additional flexibility, I think, goes a lot further than just simply throwing dollars and cents at people in, in some instances. So:
3: Again, just making processes easier for the staff, who, as you said, can have chosen to come to work for government. Obviously, they're mission-driven to come work for government, and just automation of processes. To not have to work overtime on a budgeting cycle and endless hours to be able to process permitting faster for a request. I think it's all great uh, examples of how you can make that environment of the local government be easier for the the staff. Nancy, I want to just uh, turn it over to you for any additional points that we have not discussed or.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's been said here, but uh, I just want to bring home that these we are talking with three managers who I knew coming into this were leading the way, and there are others out there. I hope this conversation can expand. I think we need to attract other managers to come into this conversation and and share where they're at and exchange ideas. So, I I want to wrap this up with some key takeaways. I'm so appreciative of Claudia to help guide the conversation, but maybe we could just go around and I'll end with you, Claudia, if that's okay. Let's go to Brad, then Dave, then Aaron, and just say a few words or if there's anything that we missed today that you'd like to come back to.
4: I think we hit a pretty good variety of issues uh, and and concepts. I I think, as Dave was mentioning, our project, our, our corridor, a traffic signal corridor project It uh, reminded me, uh, a woman had come to one of our public meetings uh, just last month, I think it was, but she had come and it wasn't on the agenda. There was nothing prompting, but she stood up under public comment and started grilling our board about really asking about the degree to which this new traffic signal project using AI was going to allow China to control our... or spy on our residents. Yeah, so I think yeah, that's a good example. And, and there are some others, just some internal examples of how staff has at has, has some times interacted or, or reacted to the idea of a new initiative. I think Aaron mentioned in the beginning, it comes down to communication and communicating effectively and early on why it is we're looking to do X project and how we're going to use it. Otherwise, I think early on, you get some initial pushback to the adoption and the culture isn't there such that it would allow for a successful adoption. Communication and, and just honing in on that culture of trying things and innovating, I think is important, but it's been a good conversation. What you did,
0: Yeah, thank you. I think if there's maybe one theme that we didn't touch on this afternoon, it's around cybersecurity. We could probably spend an entire podcast focused on that issue alone, but I would just encourage anybody who is taking notes from our discussion here, uh, pays attention to this very, uh, critical and very concerning, um, development and technology, certainly not just as it pertains to, to local government, but it is one of those things that we are easy targets, um, as we deploy these enhancements in our technology, uh, as needed as they are, We have to be vigilant about what that does to our vulnerability and how that exposes us to potentially bad actors because these threats are ever-changing. We see them all the time in our emails and no longer is it the, your uncle is estranged and imprisoned in Nigeria, send 30,000 rubles to this address and we'll release him. These are socially engineered. These are intelligent. These are evolving daily. And they're things that Many people that are trained to recognize these potential attacks and exposures are missing. And so we, we have this really critical exposure that we have to keep at the forefront of our minds as managers and as frontline staff and the elected officials as well, as we deploy these enhancements in our communities, that we need to just make sure that we do our due diligence. And in, in closing for my part, I would say that as we navigate the ever-evolving landscape of technology and local government, let's embrace the opportunities it brings to enhance efficiency, foster innovation, and ultimately improve the lives of our community. As we press forward, let us be guided by the words of Peter Drucker, who said, "'The best way to predict the future is to create it.' Together, let's create a future where technology serves as a catalyst for positive change in our government." And that's a Chat gpt generated closing remark, that I asked it to create for me on this podcast. So I'll give credit to artificial intelligence for that one. I thought it was appropriate. Thank you.
1: Hear, here, Aaron.
0: I can't follow up Dave. Oh,
1: how do you follow that?
0: That's
2: superb. I, honestly, though, from my take, and it's great hearing about what's happening from my counterparts in central PA and certainly what is going on across local government as a whole. But. Well, I, the thing I'd like to touch on and, and things that I think are important for the future is I'm going to use the example of pavement management. We can go ahead and move forward on pavement management and take a look at how we're going to evaluate our roadways and come up with a capital investment plan to improve our roads, bridges, items like that. And if that plan ultimately says that we have to spend four million annually to do that, but we only have two million to allocate. We're still up against the wall. It, no matter how much technology helps create that efficiency and helps guide our operations, we still have to find ways to actually pay for the projects that need to occur and to support the infrastructure improvements that need to take place, uh, whether those are more traditional infrastructure, whether that's technology in smart cities and, and communities. As we continue to look at this, one of the biggest things that Has come to light is how do we convince not just our elected officials, but our communities that taking on these technology challenges are going to benefit the community as a whole? And convincing everyone to pay that big upfront cost to implement software, implement new technology is certainly a struggle for all of us. But it is something that we have to navigate day in and day out, and certainly that we need the rest of. Not just our our administrative counterparts, but the elected officials and certainly the private sector to embrace with us and understand that this is a challenge. And we as managers can't do this on our own. We need to find the support there, whether that's uh, financially or creatively through partnership to move these technologies forward so that we can keep pace with, with an evolving world here. Again, this was a great opportunity, and I certainly appreciated the conversation. This was, this was a pretty fun one.
1: Thanks, Aaron.
3: Brad, David, Aaron, I am honored to be here with you all, all today and, and listen to your incredible stories, examples of how you're using technology and culture to just Get make your uh, municipality a better place to live in and to interact with you. You talked about communication. You talked about innovation. You talked about importance of cybersecurity, change management. You talked about bringing AI now as an introduction to 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 your townships. You talked about just the the fact that you want to collaborate and you want to network more with each other, and that might be a way of doing more with less. These are all incredible leadership qualities that you're bringing to the table. That need to be just need to be uh, mirrored across all of our municipalities, townships, cities across the United States because we need more of you to really start to change and have folks just as easy as coming to the cloud and embracing the cloud as you all have. So I really want to thank you. I also wanted to extend a, an invitation to all of you. We do our annual conference every year. It invite it's about over a thousand governments. Townships, municipalities, city managers, budget analysts, procurement, you name it, IT, they all come together to join us. And we would love for you to be a part of it. This year, it will be held in Arlington, Texas. And this is an incredible way to network with a lot of your peers across the country. So we can give you more information of the exact dates, but it's called Transform 2024. And it's from September 30th, actually, to October 2nd, and it will be held in Arlington, Texas. So we'd love to uh, have you join us if, if possible. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Claudia. Uh, my takeaway for this episode is, you might have guessed it, but I'm very interested in the collaboration and the partnerships that can form to really help governments be more effective overall. But let me just close by saying, certainly, Claudia, reaching out to you to collaborate on this episode has been really great, a great addition. Uh, to this. And thank you so much. And let's do it again. Thanks, everyone, for being here and for a great conversation today. Yeah. See ya. Thank
2: you. Thank you. Thank we'll you also, also very much. Yep.
1: Thanks, Aaron. See you all soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>